All right. Good morning, everyone. Uh, this uh, snowy morning, uh, you know, Tanya mentioned that, you know, maybe it was unfortunate. Maybe it's fortunate that there's snow. Maybe uh, it kept us from trying to, to push the event into a, a muddy territory and, and, and saved us for some, you know, wet and dirty kids. So, so it's probably a good thing. Um, over the last few weeks, we've been taking a close look at some of the events that took place over the last five months of Jesus' ministry on earth before his crucifixion. Um, we've seen that Jesus is the good shepherd, that he cares for us and he supplies all of our needs. We've seen that he's the one who came to put suffering in his place, that uh, he showed us suffering like sickness and blindness and even death um, are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to come that's going to be revealed in eternity. And we read uh, how Jesus declared that he is the resurrection and the life, as Tanya mentioned just moments ago, uh, and, and how he then proved it by raising Lazarus from the dead, uh, causing many people to believe in him. Last week, uh, we read about how James and John had, uh, with, the, with the help of their mom, had attempted to uh, elevate themselves into a position of power uh, and honor seated next to Jesus. And, uh, and Jesus took that opportunity to kind of share with the disciples again that that the kingdom of heaven is not like the kingdom of earth, that uh, when, you, when you seek after honor and power, uh, it ends up leading to pride and oppression of other people. But Jesus said that if you want to be great in his kingdom, you need to be a servant of all, that you need to become slave, that you need to see others as better than yourselves. And so um, Jesus concluded his teaching, teaching in Mark 10, verse 45. He said, for even the son of man came not to serve, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, lastly, we ended the message last week looking at Philippians 2, where Paul teaches that if we have experienced uh, being united with Christ, if we've experienced being filled with the Holy Spirit, if we have experienced uh, through that relationship a joy that... that uh, that fills us even in the midst of suffering, that, that we should take that, that love that we've received, that encouragement that we received, and that we should find ways to show that to other people, that we should serve others in showing them that same kind of love with the same attitude and the same passion that Jesus displayed for us. So that's, that's where, we, where we've been. And if we could absorb, you know, like, I mean, it's so hard to fully grasp anything about God, because it's like every element of him is so much bigger, you know, it's more full than, than what we can comprehend. But if we, could, if we could grasp just these few snippets, these few uh, things about his life and his character and who he is, um, what he accomplished through his life, his death, and his resurrection, our hearts would be well prepared for today where we're um, celebrating that a triumphal king, a triumphal Jesus, uh, Jesus as our Savior, Jesus as our provider, and Jesus, he said, as our King. <clears throat> Today, um, we're going to see that Jesus came also to bring peace. Um, but he didn't really come to bring it in the way that the crowds expected him to bring it, uh, not the way that they were hoping for. The passage we're going to read today is often called the triumphal entry and describes Jesus' return to Jerusalem um, where he is celebrated, he's honored, and he's praised by large crowds of people as he makes his way into Jerusalem for the Passover festival. 
Um, before we jump into the story, uh, I'm just going to take a moment and, and pray that God would speak to our hearts as we enter into his word. Lord, we just, uh, we just honor you today uh, as we remember um, how the people saw you coming and they, they worshiped you, Lord. Uh, we have even more reason. We have a, even more knowledge um, um, from this side of the cross to see who you are and, and what you've done for us, Lord. And so uh, today we just celebrate uh, that you are king, that you are Lord, and that you are worthy of us laying down our lives, humbling ourselves before you and worshiping you. We ask that you would speak to our hearts through your word today, that we would be encouraged and, and that we would be emboldened to walk even more uh, in, your, in your will in, in, and walk in your blessing and to walk in hope and to walk in peace despite anything that happens in the world around, world around us that we, uh, we can have peace because we have hope in you. Pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Jesus had been, has been ministering for uh, around three years at the time of his triumphal entry. This was, the, this was the, towards the end of his ministry. He'd ministered across a, a, at least a 100-mile swath of land north to south, and I don't know exactly how wide. Um, he had drawn crowds as he traveled, uh, sometimes being fifteen to 20,000 people. He taught with wisdom. He taught with authority. He performed amazing signs and wonders. Even if there was somebody who happened to be in the region that had not seen Jesus, they had no doubt heard about him. Uh, he had healed the sick. He had restored sight to the blind. He'd made the lame to walk, cast out demons, walked on water, stopped a storm, uh, provided money out of the mouth of a fish, fed thousands with a sack lunch, and raised the dead to life and much more. He was the most famous person in Israel. Everybody knew who he was by this time. Um, the incredible rise in popularity of Jesus uh, was happening at the same time that the Jews were growing more and more discontent with Roman rule and Roman oppression. This oppression that seemed to be getting worse and worse as time goes on. In, in fact, it was going to get so bad that uh, 40 years after Jesus died, they, they actually mounted a revolt against the Romans. It was a very unsuccessful revolt in which many Jews were killed, many were enslaved, and the temple was destroyed. Um, the Jews, during the years of Jesus' ministry, were longing for a deliverer. They were longing for God to send the promised Messiah that would come and bring freedom and bring peace to their land. But just as we at sometimes are tempted to kind of put God in a box and wonder why he doesn't respond to our prayers in the way that we think he should or the way we expect him to, the Jews also had their own idea of how the Messiah would come, uh, what he would be like, how he would act. And in their mind, since he was going to come and rule, um, he must be somebody who was going to be born into royalty. Uh, he was going to have a heroic demeanor. He was going to have a commanding presence. And he would be someone who would grow like a, into a strong warrior like David that would rise up an army behind him and they would revolt and drive the Romans out of Israel. 
They looked at scriptures like uh, Psalm 110 where the Messiah is going to come as a rod of strength that would make all of their enemies into their footstools. In Isaiah 9 where he's called the Prince of Peace and that he's going to sit on the throne of David and establish his kingdom with justice and judgment forever. Now, Jesus is all those things and he came to accomplish all those things but they didn't recognize it because he didn't do it the way they expected him to. At this moment, Jesus was hitting a climax in popularity. And even though he didn't check all the boxes uh, or enough of the boxes for the religious leaders to accept him as the Messiah, the people um, seemed to, or at least many of the people at this moment, seemed to believe or at least hope that he was indeed the one that was going to lead them, throwing off Roman rule and establishing an earthly kingdom, um, an earthly uh, kingdom of Israel, restoring uh, the kingdom that they, that they once had. So that's the larger backstory. Um, but to add to the drama of this particular moment, among the crowd, there was this suspenseful unknowing of what was going to happen. Because it was Passover time and everybody knew that that typically you would expect that Jesus and his disciples would come to Jerusalem for Passover. That's what men of age would do for one of these festivals. They would all come to Jerusalem, and Jesus had been there in the past for Passover. Um, but at the same time, they also knew that the chief priests and the Pharisees had issued an, a command that if anybody were to see Jesus, that they were to notify them so that they could arrest him. So the question circulating through this crowd of people, um, was he going to come or was he not going to come? And, uh, and the crowd was just a buzz because they, they desired to see him. Like I say, he's, he's the most famous person in Israel at the time. He's been doing these amazing things. They wanted to see him. Um, and there's also probably some curiosity to see what exactly was going to happen if he did show up. Um, how was that all going to go down? And so... Uh, then all of a sudden we come to John uh, 12, 12, and this is the moment they've all been waiting for. It says, the next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. Okay, so news came, the crowds heard, and they had a little bit of forewarning. So um, they remember, remember, it's Passover time, okay? So the city is, is bursting at its seams. It's, the, the population has, has swollen uh, from all the travelers coming in. Uh, conservative estimates say that, that Jerusalem was probably at about five times its normal population level at this point. So it's at least 125,000 people. It may have been much, much higher than that. Um, and thousands of them now were fixated. They were focused on this road leading from the east to Jerusalem, um, watching to see Jesus come. The verse uh, we just read, though, said that uh, the news arrived that he was on the way. And now he's coming on foot, and we'll, we'll learn in the next verses that he is actually still at least two miles away. Uh, so you can only imagine that somewhere along Jesus' path, somebody saw him, saw that he was heading towards Jerusalem, and either because they knew of all the anticipation and the crowd and they wanted to go tell the people or because they, wanted, they knew of the command of the Pharisees and they wanted to go tell the Pharisees, um, they ran ahead and news arrived uh, well before Jesus that he was on his way. So this event is recorded in all four Gospels. 
So I have uh, combined all of the details of all the Gospels kind of into one piece. So I'm not going to be um, listing all of the references because we're going to be bouncing around a bit. If you would like to turn to uh, like Luke 19, that's where we're going to start. You can kind of follow along if you want to, but we're going to be uh, bouncing around between uh, all four Gospels. So let's read the, the account of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. Jesus went on towards Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. He came to the towns of Beth, Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. He sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks why you're untying that colt, just say, the Lord needs it and will return it soon. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street, tied outside the front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing untying that colt? They said what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell, people, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of them, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, and all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He replied, If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessing on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in the highest heaven. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead. They were telling others about it, and that was the reason so many went out to meet him. But they had heard about this miraculous, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there is nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. The entire city was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked, and the crowds replied, It is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth, Nazareth in Galilee. So Jesus, the Son of God, King of Kings, Emmanuel, the Prince of Peace, was finally receiving the welcome he deserved. Um, and while, while that was happening, the Pharisees asked Jesus to tell the people to stop, and he replied because he was well-deserving. Jesus deserved more praise than what they were offering, but he said, he said if they stop, the, cry, the, the, the rocks, the stones are going to cry out to me. Jesus was worthy of all of the praise. 
I don't know about you, but this scene of Jesus being praised by thousands of people who are proclaiming him as king kind of makes my heart swell. It's just, it's exciting to see the way that they are willing to honor him by laying down branches and laying down their their garments um, for him. It it would have been an amazing thing to see these crowds of people uh, worshiping him in person. I begin to remember that this adoring crowd has much different anticipations and expectations of what Jesus is going to do, what kind of a Messiah he is going to be. And, it, and because they don't match, in just a few days this crowd is going to turn on Jesus and they're going to say, crucify him, crucify him. Because he's going to surrender himself to the, to the Pharisees, to the elders, to the chief priests. He's, he's going to stand there and um, not fight back, you know, against their, their threats and against um, their, their tearing down, in their opinion, of, of them tearing down uh, what he had going for him. He was going to be this powerful, reigning, leading ruler. He had these crowds of people, and all of a sudden he's submitting himself. He's not fighting the way they expected. He's not leading the way they expected. And so they turned from him. Uh, Jesus was on the way to accomplish all that was prophesied of the coming Messiah, but they couldn't see it. They, They had a different expectation. He wasn't going to be the kind of Messiah they were looking for, but their adoration was not in vain. In fact, it was really more deserved than they realized it was. He was more than just a conquering king. He was more than just a a man who was called to lead the people into battle. He was going to go and die for their sins. He was going to be the ultimate sacrifice that would restore them to God once and for all. But they didn't see that. That wasn't the type of Messiah they were looking for. We read that some in the crowd had cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And uh, one of the songs that they sang as, as he was coming was, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Now, the word Hosanna is an interesting one. It comes from two Hebrew words that when put together means uh, save us, Lord, or save us now, Lord. And we can find this phrase if we look in Psalms 118, verse 25 through 26. It says, save us now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Now, this Psalms uh, 118 was a psalm that they sang uh, possibly at other times, but one of, the, one of the main times that they sang it, it was a very popular song to, for them to recite during one of their festivals. It, it was on the seventh day of the Jewish festival of shelters, and, and that particular day was called Hoshana Rabbah. Now, um, their most important festival uh, was Yom Kippur, which was their, their Day of Atonement. It was the day that, that they would bring special offerings and, and uh, the priest would offer sacrifices that would um, 
extend God's temporary covering, their atonement, for another year. But Hoshana Rabbah was considered by, by some of the Jewish teachers as being what they call a mini, they, some people called, I don't know, one of, the, uh, one of the experts in the field said it, it was kind of like a mini Yom Kippur, it was a, a mini day of atonement. Uh, this uh, Hoshana is the combination of those two, two Hebrew words I mentioned that means uh, save us Lord and Rabbah means great. And together, this was sometimes called the great supplication. Because according to Jewish teaching, God told Abraham that if atonement is not granted to you on this other festival, this Rosh Hashanah, uh, it will be granted to you on the Day of Atonement, this Yom Kippur. And if it's not given then, it will be given on Hoshana Rabbah. So Hoshana Rabbah was the Jews, almost went third, not second, this is their third and last chance in the year to receive atonement from God and to be able to be um, acceptable to receive God's blessing of, of, of rain and provision. And so um, now we see that Jesus is coming. This is, this is his third time during his time of ministry entering, pass, entering Passover, entering Jerusalem during Passover, and since, like I say, since he started his ministry, and this was the first time that he was welcomed with singing of any kind, let alone songs singing, Lord, save us. Lord, save us now. Um, it, it's, it seems, it's not just, it doesn't just seem fitting, it is fitting, but it also seems very significant. Uh, Romans 10, 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So God was hearing their prayer. They're praying, they're, they're, this is supplication saying, Lord, save us now. This, their hope was that Jesus was going to be the Messiah, that he was going to deliver them. But as often is the case, God's answer didn't match the expectations of the person or the people praying it. Uh, salvation was not going to come in the form that they expected, but God had heard their prayer and he was answering their prayer he was answering their cry for help. The sad part is, is that many of those who were crying, Hosanna, Lord save us, were not going to see it. They're not going, they weren't going to, they weren't going to get it. They weren't going to receive God's answer. They were crying out for it, but because their minds had a different image of what God's answer was going to look like, they were not going to be able to receive what God was providing for them. And so they missed out on God's answer and his provision. Um, the Jewish people thought that they knew what God was going to do. They thought they, they knew how God was going to work. They were sure they had it right. Uh, they were ready for Jesus to come and bring them freedom and peace from the outside in. They thought, uh, they thought they had it, but they didn't understand that Jesus wanted to bring them peace from the inside out. They thought that if they could just change their environment, if they could remove uh, the uncomfortable situation they were in, specifically if they could kick the Romans out of their land and if they could have uh, a free nation of Israel, free from foreign rule like they had in the past, that they would have peace. But God had a better plan. Uh, he had a permanent plan. He had a plan that did not involve uh, a king that was impersonal, impersonal or unapproachable as, as kings of the time would have tended to be, but he had one 
a plan that, that involved an intimate king that would dwell as oneness within them. Uh, sometimes, you know, we can be tempted to do kind of the same thing. They're looking backwards to uh, the good old days sort of thing. And we can sometimes look back to the good old days and think, man, if things were just like they were back in the, the 90s or back in the 80s or back in the 50s or whatever time, uh, you might think that life had a slower pace or there was a better ec- economy or people got along better, um, then you would have peace. <clears throat> or you might think to yourself, if I could just get a better job or if I, if I had my mortgage paid off or if the kids were just a little bit older and so the house wasn't so noisy all of the time, you know, then I'll have a little peace. Then I'll have peace. And I have to say that last one, I kind of had me sold for a second. But if your peace is dependent on the circumstances around you, there's always going to be something. There's always going to be someone that can steal it from you. But Jesus came to bring a different kind of peace, a peace that comes from within, a peace that he was bringing to anybody who loved him and obeyed him and accepted him. Um, John 14, 27 said, Peace... I leave with you my peace I give to you, not as the world gives it, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus says the world's circumstances or changing your atmosphere can't offer you the kind of peace that he can. He can offer the kind of peace that can come even in the midst of bad situations and bad circumstances. Because his peace doesn't come from the outside in, it comes from the inside out. Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body you are called to live in peace. We have peace because we have made Christ king of our hearts. The Jews wanted to bring peace Uh, they wanted him to bring peace to the nation, and then they expected that to bring peace to their hearts. Um, But God wants us to be co-laborers in Christ and where he fills us with his spirit and he gives us peace, and then we take that peace and we bring it out to the nations. Not from the nations in, but from us out to the nations. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. What is the message of reconciliation that we bring? It's a message of peace with God. It's, it's, it's restoration with God. We were enemies with God in our sin, but now we've been restored to peace with God. He's not an enemy anymore. He's our father, and we're his children. And we've, become, we've been want, made one with him by his Holy Spirit coming and, and dwelling in us and bringing life into us. So um, during <clears throat> this Hoshana Rabbah, the Jews were seeking for God to remove their transgressions. That was the point of what they were doing. They would actually, uh, one of the things they would do is they would take uh, branches and they would 
they would they would tie them together and they would beat them on the ground and the the leaves of the branch were kind of representative of their transgressions and and it was it was symbolizing that they were they wanted to to knock off they wanted to 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 cast off their transgressions and so um They wanted their transgressions gone, not just to have them gone, but because they, they knew that they needed God's blessing. They needed God to be with them. So um, here we find Jesus entering Jerusalem, and they're crying out, Hosanna. And they're not recognizing that he is coming to remove their sins. Just like the Hebrew word, just like the psalm that they, that they would sing, um, he was coming to remove their sin and restore their relationship with God so that they could be blessed, so that they could be saved, and so that they could have peace. The crowds had a picture in their mind of the Messiah, the Messiah that they wanted, uh, one that would give them what they wanted. But in just a few days, they said Jesus is going to be betrayed, he's going to surrender himself to the authorities, he's going to refuse to fight back in this man that they praised passionately, they're going to turn on and they're going to yell, crucify him. And ask the worship team to make their way up. Like I said in the beginning, sometimes uh, people have a tendency to put God in a box, uh, a box of their own expectations. And one of the dangers of that is sometimes God can answer the prayers that you're praying and you miss it. You don't even see it. Um, because... You're, you're so fixated on how you think it should be done. So the other thing that can happen is, is that, uh, that when, when you don't get the answer that you expect, when God doesn't act the way that you think he's going to or respond um, you know, in the timing that you expect, it can make you lose hope, it can make you lose faith, and it can make you question whether or not this is the Messiah the people, the Jews, questioned. They they weren't they weren't as committed. They hadn't they they had they were hopeful based on what Jesus was going to do for them next. But but they when things turned when things didn't end up the way they were they were not committed to Jesus. And so um, we have to ask ourselves: Are we holding too tightly to our desires and our own understandings and our own expectations? So the question is, what will you hold most tightly to? Have you welcomed Jesus to be king of your life no matter what happens, that you're going to hope in Christ alone? Or are your hopes in your plans and in your dreams, are those on the throne of your heart? Because we eventually, those things are going to clash. Your expectations of what you think God is going to do in your life and what God's purposes and plans are for you, they're going to come to a clash. And, and, uh, and we're, going to have to be, we're going to have to know, like, where is our hope? Is our hope in those plans or is our hope in Christ? The Jews appeared to be looking at Jesus, like I said, for what he could do next. But we don't see him that way. And, and, and thankfully, we have the advantage, like I mentioned before, we have the advantage of being on this side of the cross. Uh, we love him because he first loved us. We love him because he demonstrated his, his love for us on the cross where he died in our place. He died for our sins to restore us to God. And he died so that we could have 
communion with him, that we could be with him forever. He, he desires relationship with us. Uh, as I was thinking about all of this, um, there was a song that came to mind, and so I'm going to close by reading the lyrics of, of this song. So the song is a song by Mercy Me. It's called, it's called Even If. And the, the song goes like this, and I'm not going to sing it, so don't, you don't have to plug your ears or anything. <clears throat> it's easy to sing when there's nothing to bring me down. But what will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now? I know you're able, and I know you can, save through the fire with your mighty hand. But even if you don't, my hope is you alone. They say it only takes a little faith to move a mountain. Good thing, because a little faith is all I have right now. But God, when you choose to leave mountains unmovable, Oh, give me the strength to be able to sing, it is well with my soul. I know you're able, I know you can, save through the fire, through your mighty hand. But even if you don't, my hope is you alone. I know the sorrow and I know the hurt would all go away if you just say the word. But even if you don't, my hope is in you alone. You have been faithful. You have been good all of my days. Jesus, I will cling to you. Come what may, because I know you're able and I know you can. Um, we know who Jesus is. We've experienced him. We've experienced him come to our heart. Um, the Jews were worshiping in, in in misunderstanding, there's kind of a, um, a mistaken, mistaken identity. It's almost like twice they they mistook him as as the Messiah, but but they didn't really mistake him. They just mistook him as the wrong kind of Messiah. But we know that he was the Messiah. We know what he came to do, and we know that he did it for us. And so uh, today, as we as we um, we stand here, we're. <sighs> we think of the crowds, you know, in Jerusalem that, that all heard that Jesus was coming and they were uh, standing watching, their gazes fixed on the, uh, the entry of the Messiah uh, to the kingdom, uh, well, to the, to the city of Jerusalem. And so now here we are, you know, uh, and we know that Jesus is coming. You know, and they, they had their hope in him. They were, they were hoping that he was going to save them. And we have even more hope. That's why when we, sometimes Hosanna is, is translated uh, as, as praise God. There's a, because there's a praise aspect to it on this side of the cross. He did save us. When we say Hosanna, we're saying, Lord, thank you that you saved us. Praise you that you saved us. And so um, we fix our eyes on Jesus. We fix our eyes with hope that knowing that he is coming again. So we're not just uh, have hope in what has been done in the past. There was a final victory that secured our future, but now we can look to the future knowing that that same Messiah that was coming into Jerusalem, that was uh, being welcomed as a triumphal king, is coming again as a, as, as a glorified triumphal king that will fulfill all of the, of the, the promises. Um, he's going to take 
authority over, over the earth. All those promises that they were looking for, that he's going to make his enemies his footstools, that he's going to carry the governments on his shoulders. Jesus is king. He accomplished all of that on the cross. And one day, he's going to put it all into order, and he's going to kick out all of the sin, and we can celebrate that Jesus is coming as the triumphal king, and he's going to take us home, and he's going to, we're going to enter into that perfect kingdom. And so uh, today, uh, as we, we're, going to, we're going to close with a song, I'm going to pray uh, first, but let's, uh, let's just stand and let's worship him as the triumphal king. Dear Lord, we just thank you. Uh, we thank you for we thank you for your word, Lord, first of all, Lord. I, I just thank you that your scripture lays out for us the details of who you are, Lord God, um, that, that we can that we can come to know you, Lord. I thank you that your Holy Spirit lives inside of us to to speak to us um, and teach us the, the meanings of your word, Lord, to instill in our hearts, to bring it back to our memory. Lord, I, I thank you that uh, that you came to earth, that you chose to come as, as God in the flesh, being able to take on uh, our sins and die for us, Lord. And uh, today we just rejoice that you didn't fail, Lord. You didn't, you didn't match the expectations of the people uh, and, and how they thought that you were going to have victory, Lord, but you prevailed uh, according to your will, according to your plan, according to your desire, and you, you prevailed in a bigger way. Uh, whether or not uh, we have peace in the governments has uh, is, is really incomparable to having peace with you in our hearts because that means that we're reconciled to you. It means that we have a future. It means that we have an eternity, Lord. And so we just uh, come to you today and we're going to we sing to you again and we welcome you as King of Kings and Lord of Lords.